1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
2: 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats, and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. We've got a two-part show today, and it's all about the late, great George Michael and the 30th anniversary of his debut solo album, Faith. In the first portion of the show... Andrew will be joined by Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Joe Lynch, and the guys will discuss how Faith racked up an incredible six top five singles on the Billboard Hot 100, including four number ones. Then, my fellow chart gurus, Gary Trust and Trevor Anderson of the Chartbeat Podcast, stop by to talk about Faith's many chart achievements and debate whether Michael will ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But first, Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and, you know, you can give us a rating, a review. Why not? And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Okay, so since Andrew will be talking about how Faith spun off, you know, six top five singles, I won't spoil his chart fun by discussing that specific chart feed, but I will, however, give you some fun facts about Michael's chart career in general. Of course, he was one half of the duo Wham! when he first started out back in the early 80s, and Wham! made its Billboard chart debut on March 19th, 1983, when Young Guns, Go For It! debuted on our Dance Club Songs chart, eventually peaking at number 21. Uh, Wham! charted nine hits on the Hot 100, including three number ones. As a soloist, Michael notched 19 hits, including seven number ones, and four of them were from Faith, and you'll hear all about that in a second on Coming Around Again.
1: Hello, and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary theme podcast celebrating anniversaries in the music world. Uh, this week, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of George Michael's classic Faith album, which turns Ooh. 30 on October 30th. and. As you can hear wooing in the background here to, here to talk about it. with us is uh, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Joe Lynch. What's up, Joe? Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and you, you can't see this at home right now, but Joe's actually wearing a cross-earring and a leather <laughs> jacket right now. It's, it's yeah. a beautiful tribute, Joe. Yes. Uh, yeah. My guitar with pearls is outside. Yeah. And, and I, I brought up the woolitzer, but it's, I think it's still in the lobby. I don't think they can let me take it <laughs> on, the, on the elevators. Uh, so uh, today was a big day of celebration for us at Billboard. Uh, Doing the 30th anniversary of Faith, we got Six really awesome essays talking about the six great singles on this album. you gotten a chance to read any of these yet, Joe?
3: I did, yes. I finally got um, a chance to read all of them. They're great. The uh, I'm trying to think which ones. The one uh, about I Want Your Sex was probably my favorite. Yeah, that was the most uh, personal. There was, so. It was the most personal. It was very okay. funny. Um
1: and what else? There was another oh the the one more try was beautiful too. Yeah, I mean the, that's Stephen Thomas Owen. Shout out to him and yes. uh, Lori Majewski ST, doing the yeah doing the I want your sex and all, all the other great writers we got. Uh, definitely check that out uh, on Billboard if you haven't already. Uh, but neither you nor I wrote an article for that for that series. So we let's, did not. Let's, uh, let's share our own opinions now. So what, what's what's your own kind of personal history with George Michael and with this album?
3: You know, it, my personal history is is not um well i'm just gonna trail off and then leave it there no i, I, I love 80s music in general <laughs> he was definitely someone i got into later like i was a you know big big madonna prince fan as a teenager um i didn't really get into george michael probably till post-college i think um i knew the singles and for some reason i just i, I don't know i think i had the faith album on vinyl and i was like it was like oh this is good the good good singles some for some well, reason well done by him some reason the like the kind of breadth and the scope of his genius um, didn't hit me till a little later. Um, I think when I became aware of how much I liked the Freedom 1990 version, and then sure. I kind of revisited Faith. I, I think honestly, probably like a lot of uh, viewers, or viewers, listeners back who actually lived through George Michael's time. Like my in, in my view of him was very much like refracted through Wham, and I was kind okay. of like, oh, Wham is like just insanely cheesy like you know this basically like a punchline group um and so i think I, it really didn't it took me a while to kind of like really understand how like you know deeply like
1: musically affecting that album was and how, how talented he was really too yeah uh i think you know growing up in the late 90s was not the time to be growing up in like growing into a george michael fan this is very true like yeah i mean aside from the fact you know he was already declining in popularity i mean the first uh the first song of his I really knew that well was Fast Love, which was his big hit off of Older, his third mm-hmm. album. By that point, you know, he, he, you know, he because he was so big a decade earlier, people still cared about him, but he definitely wasn't at the vanguard anymore. He wasn't on the forefront yeah. of pop music and uh, – Although he was still making some pretty great singles and some and some pretty cool albums, he was definitely on on the wane, and you know the pop had become such a different thing by that point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the late nineties, you mostly know George Michael for two things, uh, neither of which are very positive. One right. Which, yeah. One of them is the Limp Bizkit cover of Faith, which uh, <laughs> might might have ruined George Michael for for a number of people our age. Yeah. And obviously, the other is, is the, uh, the the public restroom incident, right, in which he was very publicly outed uh, and a lot of scandal, a lot of. John Norris interviews, like uh, it, yeah. it, it was it was a messy time
3: for George Michael. It was you know, he was definitely more like certainly when, but yeah, both of us are growing up more punchline than yeah.
1: kind of like uh, musical maestro. But and and so I, I grew up. I would not have considered myself a George Michael fan. Uh, I liked a couple songs, but you know, it, it, it was my, my fan of George Michael kind of uh it, it kind of follows the arc of oh I don't really like George Michael, but I do like that one song. I don't really like George Michael, but I do like those two or three songs. And then it just kept going until it was like you know, right. seven or eight songs in. I was like, oh, I guess I just kind of mm-hmm. like George Michael. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, like uh, as you were saying, like you, you definitely don't grow up thinking of him as this kind of you know, prince-like figure of mm-hmm. like, like just basically a guy who does everything. You know, he writes, he right. produces, he performs, he, he, he sings, he's an incredible singer, he's an incredible songwriter, he's an incredible dancer, at least uh, by the standards of, of of late 80s, you know, Caucasian right. performers. Uh, yeah. And yeah, like, like like he was, you know, one of the guys for, for his time, for his period. And Faith is sort of like the, that moment that every great 80s pop star had where, you know, where everything just kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of unfortunate for him that it happened on his first album because he, he sort of spent the rest of his career recoiling from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, do you do you even consider this his first album? I mean, no, no, no disrespect to the god Andrew Wrigley, but uh, <laughs> um, cer- certainly his wham, you know, his wham efforts were mostly his doing. Yeah, I mean, that that is
3: that's an interesting question. It, it is weird to kind of say like, oh, George Michael's debut, because George Michael was already this massive star by the time Faith came out, and he had had that Aretha Franklin duet. I sure. mean, he, for all intents and purposes, was a solo star before this album arrived. Um, but yeah, I think if only for the purpose that like the Wham! stuff is, like, pretty slight overall. Like, even Mm -hmm. revisiting that, like, post-death, I was like, you know, like, it's not that great. Like, some of it is beautiful. Most of it's, like, fairly, like um purell so I, I feel like if only <laughs> just to like kind of free him of that. that um then yes this is his debut
1: That that is true although you, you can you can already hear like the maturity creeping in like on a, a couple of songs per album and and uh, right. last christmas which i think is probably considered one of the greatest Yes, i mean greatest that's greatest a that's time.
3: A fantastic song uh, I, i'll
1: actually you know shout out to music from the edge of heaven their their third quasi album it's like a half singles compilation half odds and ends thing uh, nobody really considers that album one of his best, and I'm sure that he didn't himself. But there's some beautiful songs in that album, uh, and I love uh, a different corner, which is actually technically his first solo single, even though it was released on a Wham! album. Hmm. There's this weird thing that because Andrew Wrigley, I think it's pronounced Wrigley by the way, not Ridgely. I'm not sure about I, that. I'm not but, sure about uh, that. Either. I have a, a super fan friend that I always always claimed as such, so I'm taking her word for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, the story of, of him and Wham! is like a gradual like stopping of pretending that that Andrew Wrigley was even a thing like at right. first it was Wham and then it was Wham featuring George Michael and then by the time of a different right. corner it's just George Michael on a Wham album but yeah I mean Faith Faith was his proper uh you know kind of this is me statement and uh enormous success pretty much immediately uh six top five hits mm-hmm. goes diamond uh, world tour that lasts like a year and a half uh so, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, uh, this, this, you know, they wanted to put this together, this this package of essays about about Faith and its many singles, is that it was, I think, one of only a couple albums to ever have six top five hits on the Hot 100, and that's mm-hmm. a tremendous achievement. And they're all so different from one another, and, and they're all so, so interesting in their own right. So, I figured we kind of we kind of go buy them one by one, break Let's them down, do do, you know, do favorites, least favorites, et cetera. Uh, so, the first one was actually released before Faith came out. I think it was on the... I want to say the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. (laughs) I might need to double check myself on that. It was definitely on some weird soundtrack that Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have expected because the song is I Want Your Sex. uh, Definitely not the sort of thing you would appear that you would expect to appear in an Eddie Murphy action comedy. But uh, it was it was a huge hit despite being censored by a number of radio stations Mm -hmm. and despite being a pretty controversial kind of opening salvo for a a former teen pop star. Uh, What do you you think of I Want Your Sex, Joe?
3: Um, I think it's it's smart I mean first off, I like the song. Um, I don't think it's it's probably it's in the top half of the album. I don't think it's like one of the finer moments I see why um, he kind of moved away from embracing it later in life. Uh, but it's very smart in the sense that like you know it it's very like courting sexual like controversy, um, but at the same time like, you know fully on like embracing monogamy like is this kind of way of like having your cake and eating it too you know it's not prince in a g-string in a (laughs) pull-out poster on the controversy album it's like putting sex in an album you're you know nor is it madonna writhing you know imitating sex on the vma uh inaugural vmas uh you know it's someone talking about sex but being like hey but it's best when it's one-on-one which is very like you know this kind of like reagan Era appropriate um, version of a of a dirty song. Yeah,
1: it's it's a very kind of provocative casing for a very mm-hmm. I don't want to say conservative, but at least uh, you know non controversial sentiment. Yeah, it, right. It, it's interesting. Uh, I love the song mostly from a, like a songcraft perspective because like this is one of the things that, that uh, kind of sold me on Jordan Michael later in life was uh, doing a song's karaoke. Uh, you realize that there's like eight different parts to each mm-hmm. of them, and like this song in particular has like like different bridges i think like, like yeah you, you think you sort of see where the song is going and then he keeps throwing curveball after curveball and like the horns in maybe like the fourth part i love oh, that's probably my favorite part really like, yeah. like when we get to like the part two on the album wow. yeah yeah see i don't know about that 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 actually like that that goes like a little bit too far for me like i, I don't know i grew up uh knowing mostly the the, the version that they're playing mtv which which i think cuts off after the horns and then my mm-hmm. the first time i listened to the album i was like oh well, didn't see this comic but yeah like like the, the fact that that it, he basically turns into like an eight and a half minute you know pop prog epic on the album is, <laughs> yes it's pretty yeah. incredible and like a lot of the songs most identifiable hooks and uh, clean like that that like, kick 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 kick, come on which is yeah. probably probably the best like that that show was like five minutes into the song it's <laughs> right it's, it's, it, it, it's pretty insane I think uh, and we we're also we were like uh, last week on this podcast we were talking about in excess' kick album mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because doing the, the two back to back but it really kind of occurred to me that this is sort of a companion piece to, to Need You night to me uh, maybe not thematically, hmm. but the the songs kind of have the same sort of shuffle to them and they're both very sexy but kind of minimalist and, and I don't know, just, just, just great pop songs, I think. Yeah,
3: I'd have to listen to that. That's interesting, though. It's been a while since I've listened to that In Excess one. Yeah, no, and you're right, minimal. I mean, there's like that minimal funk thing to it and I think yeah. it works uh, really well and also is, is a intelligent way for him to kind of be like look like i'm i'm better than like this this sort of like froth pop and i love sure. froth pop but like he you know he really like he was like regarded you know as the very offensive reference in that dire Straits
1: song you know which i i hadn't even know that didn't even occur to me one of our a writers for i think in the father figure essay wrote about mm-hmm. that and yeah that that uh I don't think that was Dire Straits taking shots because I, you know, I think they were trying to be satirical in their own right. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure to a lot of people that did kind of encapsulate their their sort of prejudices against George Michael. Right,
3: exactly. I mean that, and that was in the music industry too. After we, uh, after he died, we ran. I forget who it was, but it was some exec, and I think the exec yeah. said he didn't. But there's like several people who said he did, and yada yada. Um, you know, it called him the F word, and you know, like to his manager's face, and it's it's just like I think a lot of people like on that first Wham! album, you know, him doing this very, like, simple pop, and then with that particular look, he really had a lot to prove, and kind of moving into this Prince-esque territory um, was, like, a good way of doing it, I think.
1: Yeah, and and it makes sense that this sort of would have been his his model for for what adult pop stardom looked like in terms of Prince. And I I wonder if they ever, ever, you know, had any sort of professional relationship, he and Prince did. Do you know anything about that? I I don't think they did. I'm just guessing. I just can't imagine them, like... Maybe not. Uh, but uh, in any event, that that's that that was one for one with George Michael. That one that one didn't make it to number one. We'll probably talk about that more. You know, we're gonna have a second part of this podcast where we we, uh, we bring on the chart beat folks to talk about mm. some of the more the ins and outs of the charting of this album because it's really interesting. But that that was a number two hit. But uh, the first number one hit on this album is the title track, uh, which is sort of his. You know, it was it was a throwback rock song, but it was also just kind of a general rebranding of him. And, and the music video is very famous for for a lot of its. You know, as we talked about earlier, the leather jacket imagery. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh the guitar and the jukebox and uh I would, I would say that for non-george michael fans this is probably the one song that everybody can agree on of his would you yeah agree with that?
3: i yeah. would say that's definitely true yeah. i mean it's a it's an incredible song it's just like every time
1: i hear it I'm, i feel like i'm knocked out by how good it is yeah and it's been a little bit more simpler maybe than a couple of the other songs on this album mm-hmm. you know it, it, the 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 structuring of it isn't quite so unconventional it's just sort of more of a verse chorus verse thing and it's, yeah. it's very easily understood and uh very very deeply rooted in in rock and pop history, and that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I like so much about most of the singles on this album. But it's got that that Bo Diddley beat to it. It's that... Got that Bo Diddley beat, a little little
3: shuffle, almost a little ska or not ska skiffle, like, yeah, a little vaguely skiffle. going on there. Um, shout, shout out to to skiffle music. And shout the, out to uh, Lonnie Donegan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's very like you know he knew like rock and pop history in and out. You know, mm-hmm. this is very like. Very aware of like the the kind of <clears throat> rockabilly and both on both sides of the Atlantic the uh the early rock and roll that kind of like, um, morphed into you know the monster of rock that had taken over by the time the eighties were there. Um, but I think it's just a, yeah, you're right. It's simpler. I think there's just a lot of brilliance in the vocal delivery. Like he sounds very like kind of. Innocent and tentative when mm-hmm. he's singing the first line. I guess it would be nice if I would touch your body. Like there's, there's just like
1: it's. I, uh, I don't know. Like it's, it's very clever the way it's, it's. Yeah, sung. no doubt. And uh, the 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 great essay that uh, Jude Rogers wrote for us about faith uh, made a big deal of the opening thirty to forty seconds where it's that that groaning organ riff from the original mm-hmm. Freedom, which I, I didn't even know growing up. I didn't. I didn't catch that, that was that was a reference to that song until much yeah, much later uh but you know, and obviously you know freedom was sort of supplanted in the public memory by freedom 90 which mm-hmm. he did as a solo solo singer on the next album uh but the, the original freedom was was sort of an important song for george michael at the time but uh, kind of presenting it in this 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 gospel sort of fashion and, and then immediately breaking from it was was very important to him in this the second phase of his career uh and it's just it's just a really interesting thing to kind of bake into into the song and it makes sense that i think this is the title track on the album yeah a, a fair choice for if, if he was to be remembered for one song i think this would be as, as good a choice as any uh the third Agreed. single of uh, also also a general crowd favorite uh not really a personal favorite but uh father figure uh in, a, in kind of a very tense and foggy mm-hmm. ballad of of, of of seduction that maybe crosses some lines here and there but yeah. maybe does so intentionally uh what, what, what do you think of father figure joe
3: um i i'm a big fan of it i you know it's, it's not my favorite on the album mm-hmm. but um yeah, I, I think you know it just especially as the second track, I think it kind of like sets the tone. I mean, Faith is so uh sprightly and upbeat and then this kind of This one's takes definitely it not back. sprightly and upbeat. You no, know, it's it's very very moody um but but not dull. Like it's it's not a like kind of ponderous ballad like those backup vocals, the backup gospel vocals, I sure. think give it uh kind of a nice heft. that keeps it going uh the chorus is very catchy there's there's a few like little vocal tricks in there that are just very like hooky and earwormy um i mean yeah it's i guess it's you know you could say like maybe it's 6 minutes or whatever it is like it's a little long like the uh the kind of the musical instrumentation at the very end is maybe a little dated um but it's i think it's I think it's great i think it still is a like a definitely top hat maybe maybe top 4 songs
1: on the album for me all right the lyrics have always been a tough workaround for me and I, I don't even want to fixate too much on you know, some of the, I don't not pedophilic, but at least sort yeah. of, sort of creepy implications of some of the chorus lyrics. I don't even like that. That's not even really what bothers me. What bothers me is, uh, is wanting to be warm and naked in your sight. Like, <laughs> too, I don't know. Too gross. Maybe, maybe in some context that's sexy. I, I, I never heard it as such. It, it always was a little bit weird to me. Uh, and yeah, it's a, a little overwrought com- compared to some of the other songs on the album. Uh, Although actually the next single is probably the, maybe the most overwrought of all, and, that, and that's one of my favorites, and that's that's one more try, mm. uh, the third straight number one single off this album, and really like if, if you thought that that father figure took it slow, like this song really <laughs> yeah. digs in, uh, kind of a torch song, and, and and I think George Michael was about as good at those as anybody in the late '80s, and you know, uh, like when when the Grammys happened this year, and Adele did her version of Fast Love, uh, which she you know the, originally was like a an up, upbeat r&b dance sort of song uh she slowed it down to this very kind of uh f- almost funereal pace and 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 uh a lot of people said like oh this is so this is so anti-george george was you know mm-hmm. he, was, he was he was he he would have preferred something that was more in your face and more fun and more kind of boundary pushing mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, well maybe but like he, he did both of those like he he yeah. did those songs he did i want your sex but he also did one more try he did the, mm-hmm. these kind of grand balladic statements that that really kind of, you know, they, they, they hit in an extremely visceral way. Uh, does, does, does any of that make sense to you? That that all makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean,
3: One More Try is, is definitely my favorite George Michael song, period. Wow. Period. I think all it's right. just astonishing. It's, you know, and that that's one of those ones, too, where um, it, it is the recording. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like the song itself is, it, I'm not saying it's a bad song, but like it's, it's a pretty simple song. Um, you know, this is not the kind of like, malleable thing that you can imagine a bunch of people putting their spin on. Like, this works 100% because of the way his vocal sells the song, um, the super understated synthy production. production. Um, you know, it's pretty similar in that way to Sinead O'Connor's version of Nothing Compared to, like, just a super minimal, very another 80s production. Another Prince connection. Yeah. But that is just, like, utterly heartbreaking and, like, devastating every time you listen to it. Um, yeah, I mean, his vocal just, like, just goes, like, up to those just, like really desperate heights and then down to kind of meditative lows. And, and it's just so brilliant to end on, um, you know, the title, the titular line, maybe one last Because he's been spending this whole song saying, like, I'm done with love. It's been hurt too much. I'm not bothering with it again. And then after just, like, minute after minute of saying that, it's like, ah, maybe I'll do it again. Yeah. Like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful little trick.
1: Uh, literally my, my favorite thing that any pop music, any, any pop song can do is save the title for the last words of the song. Like <laughs> I actually have like a running playlist of like eighty songs that do this. Whenever I hear a new one, it's like the best part of my day. That's that's uh, awesome. Definitely my favorite. Just like silly little songwriting gambit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other quick thing about this song, you mentioned uh, nothing compares to you. That's a fair comparison. Listen to it sometime. Thinking about Boys to Men's End of the Road. Okay. If you, if you lay the vocals from that over the music to this, it's it's both but, but the pacing of it and the chord changes. That it's, there's a lot more similarity. I only, only realized this for the first time listening this week, but. Uh, it's it's there. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but you know George Michael was very popular on R and B radio, so mm-hmm. it, it's not. I think actually I think this was his his first R and B number one hit. Actually, I think that's right. But you know, our our friends Gary, yeah, and Trevor I'll double check that way with Gary and Trevor soon enough. But but, uh, uh,
3: but lyrically, there's also I think an interesting thing. You know, like this is all addressed to teacher, and I think that again ties into the kind of father figure thing. There's like a sort sure. of authority figure like romancing and that goes on the other side like if he was the father figure in the other song then in this one he's the the pupil to the teacher yes um, it's,
2: it's
1: a it's a very interesting contrast for certain yeah
3: uh, i mean i think that just probably plays into two like his burgeoning experience
1: in just gay culture at the time yeah. where you know daddy was uh it was a thing <laughs> daddy you know? was paramount, yes. yeah yeah but it, it is interesting to, to hear him kind of play both sides of it and i hadn't even really thought about that until uh, you know the excellent essay that uh that barry walters wrote about father figure for us uh The 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 next single on this, I think, is is maybe the. It's not going to be too many people's favorite songs in this (laughs) album, but I think it's the most interesting. Maybe and that's Monkey, which uh, is one of the most insane number one hits in Billboard Hot 100 history. I I can't even believe it's a number one hit, honestly. Well, to me, like uh, you know, another thing we're going to talk about probably a lot in the next half of this podcast is the connection between uh, this album and and Michael Jackson's Bad, uh, which was the first album to ever have five number one hits, in which this album came came very close to matching. this I think is his Dirty Diana, where like it's it's <laughs> yeah. a little more intense than you're necessarily comfortable with, and like the sound effects are crazy. Yeah, and they even have like the same sort of like moaning, like 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 synth, sort of yeah. sound that, that Dirty Diana has, which is which is insane. Uh, and the the subject matter is very confusing. You know, it might be about a love triangle, it might be about a friend's heroin addiction. Right. Yeah, but like it, you you think you have a handle on it, and then he says something that doesn't quite fit for it. And just any song he might not have known, yeah, any song with a chorus, chorus built around "Do you love the monkey or do you love me?" I mean, (laughs) that's 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 a a singular moment in pop history. Uh, But I love this song. I mean, I I think I think it's 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 absolutely batshit insane. Mm -hmm. But I I also think it's it's one of the most fun songs he ever did, and uh, I love the fact that like the sound effects kind of zoom in from all over the place, and. uh, like it's a really funky song, and it, and it got that that remix from uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, yes. uh, Minneapolis's exactly, own, exactly uh, the Minneapolis sound. And uh, I don't know, like I've been obsessed with this song recently.
3: I think I do think it's a good song. I mean, I think it's it's almost unthinkable to imagine this being like a constantly playing thing on radio, like yeah. that at some point, like you would have turned on your car radio and this people would have just been like, Oh yeah, this is just, this is what we're listening to these <laughs> days. Um, Cause it's very bizarre. It has a lot of different parts, a lot of weird sound effects. Um, it's not, it's like funky, but it's not super hooky. I mean like the hooks just aren't like that
1: fun. They're kind yeah. of like odd and a little robotic. And it also the song leaps into them immediately. Like the first thing you hear on the, on the song is the chorus, Mm -hmm. uh, in the single version, it's, it's one of the bridges, but, uh, like it it really gives you no time to adjust before it's already in the thick of it, which which makes it even more jarring than it would be otherwise. Uh, but but yeah, like, uh, I think if you're going to have one single to point to on this album saying like, okay, this, this song was a hit because George Michael was George Michael. Yeah. It's monkey, but it's still a great performance and it's still a really interesting production and, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's on here. Uh, and the last song is probably the, the one that I think most people forget about when talking about the definitely. big hits on this album, and uh, also probably sort of a momentum chart hit, only hit number five, uh, "Kissing a Fool." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 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 an interesting song because uh, it's, it's a perfect closer for the album. I think definitely, Uh yeah. And it's sort of, I think
3: that's also why people forget it too. Yeah,
1: but it's sort of like that, like like the kind of you know the after dinner mint for the album. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not the main chorus, but it's it's a really nice note to end on. I think it's nice, and I think it also uh, just demonstrates the breadth of his musical
3: knowledge, because this it's totally hearkening back to, like, the pre-rock era. Mm-hmm. Like, this sounds very, um, you, you know, it's just like those songs that were more influenced by, um, you know, the era when it was, like, songwriters like Cole Porter and Irving Berlin, um, you know, either because it's dealing with Broadway or, like, you know, jazz or whatever, Um and this just kind of has that kind of like smooth croonery vibe. I mean, yeah, it's a, you're right. It's a very like after the main event sort of thing, exactly. kind of like lounging around sort of song. Um, and that plays into both, you know, him demonstrating his musical knowledge and also um, his sense of camp, you know, which was, you know, like if, if on Wham! You were like, oh, he's dressing and acting this way because like that's fashionable right now and like he's trying to, you know, be famous, like with faith, like all of these, you know, like the the, the earrings and, you know, the, the pearls and guitars. It's more personal like, camp. It's very personal camp. Yeah. yeah. It's not so much like fashion trend setting even. It's very much like a self aware like celebration mm-hmm. of what camp is. Um and like adding to that to the camp canon. <laughs> um <laughs> no, but also well, I think well. it is a really good song. Like and I think it's too bad that it gets it gets forgotten
1: about. But still number five is pretty good on and, the charts. Yeah, not bad for like a forties throwback ballad in yeah. the late eighties. Uh and real quick, another thing that I only just noticed, uh, you know, the entire concept of kissing a fool, uh, sort of a callback to last Christmas. Uh, you know, now I know what a fool I've been, but if you kiss me oh, again, yeah. I think you'll fool me again. I, I did not think of that. That's interesting. So uh, Often felt a fool under the mistletoe, I guess, George, George I, Michael. I guess, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's all six. Uh, still three tracks to go on this album. We don't have to talk about all of them. But uh, any any of the remaining tracks that we, that we haven't discussed uh, of interest to you? Wait, read them off to me. So it's I can't it's, think it's of Hard eddles. Day, which actually was technically a single. You know, shout out to Hard Day. I don't think it was given the full promotional push in the u.s never had a video and the single uh, which was uh, like a, it was only released as like a, an eight an eight minute 12 inch version mm-hmm. produced by your personal friend Shep uh, <laughs> That's true. but it never really you know it's not a it's not a radio single and it went nowhere in the states and it wasn't even released in the uk so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll count that as a deep cut and then there's also the two hand songs which are uh, hand to mouth and mm-hmm. look at your hands i mean i think Honestly, like listening, I was re-listening to it again. Like, sure. they're
3: all good songs. Like, this is definitely not one of those um, albums where. Uh, well, actually, an album it reminds me a lot of is Cindy Lauper's "She's So Unusual," which okay. is another one of those uh, records where it's just like, like the bulk, the vast majority of the songs are just like massive hits. Sure. You know, it's like it kind of reads like a greatest hits. Um, but but similarly to that album, the lesser songs I think, while most people don't really ever think about them, are also awesome. Um, and I think these ones, like you listen to, they're they're more than solid. I think they're at very least like B plus material. They're like either solid funk or even you know kind of like forward looking like uh, R and B. Like yeah. you know, it's this is eighty seven, but the sound of these uh, these songs, you know, kind of it would seem totally. Normal if you were like, oh, this came out in ninety one. If you didn't know who yeah. did it or something. Like yeah,
1: that. I mean they, they kind of keep the line moving. Uh, and the I don't know if it's unfortunate, but the thing that I think makes it a little bit disruptive with this album is that uh, rather than kind of interspersing the album tracks throughout, they're they're like right in the middle. it's, yeah. it's four singles, three album tracks, two singles. Yeah, Which, it makes it a little. I mean, like obviously, you know, you didn't necessarily know that at the time, and maybe even listening to it in real time, it wasn't so conspicuous. But listening to it after the fact, and you hear all these songs that you know really well, and then you hear mm-hmm. three that you don't, and, and you know, it, it, it does stand out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect album, Faith. I, I think that it's it's a little rocky in spots, and then the pacing is a little strange sometimes. Pacing is strange, uh, but certainly if, uh, any album that starts with Faith and ends with Kissing a Fool is mm-hmm. pretty good, uh, and. It's a it's a fair. I think I think it's in the class of like a Born in the USA or a, a like yeah. a Virgin. Maybe not quite Purple Rain. Maybe not quite thriller. No, definitely not a Purple Rain. But ring. but you know, it's 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 one of the definitive albums of the eighties. For sure, be, it's absolutely essential. Like yeah. this is you know if you have any interest in pop or eighties music, I mean this is a must. Mm-hmm. A must here. And so I wound up kind of a down note, but uh, obviously you know George Michael passed in in December. It was it was a you know, emotional time for all of us because was, especially because it was around Christmas time and mm-hmm. a lot of us were thinking about George Michael anyway. Uh, what, what what are your memories from from that week? Uh, and, and did did it really change your opinion of George Michael or the way you listened to him at all or anything like that?
3: Um, I'd already definitely come around in terms of like how much I appreciated and took him seriously. Um, I guess a little bit in terms of just like him as a human, it made me think of that more and less as just like um the pop star you know after he died i talked to well you know john norris who's sure. been on some billboard podcasts and writes for us sometimes um john had interviewed him numerous times over the years and had hung out with him socially like um you know with their boyfriends and stuff uh and it was and yeah and, and so i talked to john afterwards for kind of like an as told to his memories of george and uh just hearing someone like kind of very kind of tear teary-eyed or teary-eyed but you know yeah sad you know choking up a little bit talking about their memories of someone you know as like an icon but yet they know them as like a human not right. that they were like the closest friends in the world but you know they they has been some time together so um that was just kind of that that weird memory that you know whenever someone like that dies it's like you know they're you know to us they're like the biggest a-list names and you know they represent x y and z and like think pieces abound but sure. like they're also just human beings who like had a ton of interactions with people and and uh and then it hurts for those people when they're gone. Yeah,
1: no, that I mean, that's interesting. And I I didn't have that personal kind of relation to anybody who I, I think had known him directly, but I, I always find that like after an artist dies, I mean, obviously you read their work with you know kind of a greater dramatic significance just because they're they're now dead. But I think it also just makes things clearer. Like mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise that kind of surrounds, especially big pop stars during their life, yeah. and and there's a lot of kind of unnecessary information to weed out to really get to what what makes them important and special and and what makes their music so great. Uh, and when when they die, it's almost like uh, it's, it's like the movie's over. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. writing about an artist when they're alive it's like trying to, to, to recap a, like a sporting event or a movie or something while it's still going on. Yeah. But once they're dead, it's like okay, now we now we can look at this and, and really understand what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you, and yeah, you look at at his at his best songs, at his at his chart chart achievements, and. All, all, all the incredible things he accomplished uh, as a pop star, and you realize, like you know, I, I always grew up thinking he was definitely like a cut below, kind of the big stars of his era, and that he's maybe aged more poorly than some of them. I don't think that's true. I, I think I think he's he's in the discussion. I think he he has as many fantastic pop songs, and, and just kind of and, and like. And and it is, it is a true, a true pac, like a true practitioner of pop music, mm-hmm. like a, a real acolyte, a real student, and like a, a real preacher for the value of pop music and the power of pop music. And that was a thing that I never really gave him proper credit for when he was alive. And um, I'm sorry that it took me until he who de- was dead to realize it. But I'm, I'm repping for you now, George. Uh, uh, I think uh, your, your two albums after this are pretty great too. Even even the one from this century, I think uh, Patience is, is a little underrated. Uh, never quite had the, the like the, the one canonical masterpiece and that might kinda hurt mm-hmm. him uh, you know, moving forward in, in, in the annals of, of pop and rock history. But yeah, I mean certainly songs that everybody knows, songs that a lot of people love and, and I think he's he's only gonna be more appreciated for those as, as, as the years go on. For sure. Joe Lynch, a father figure to us all. <laughs> Thank Thanks you so much for stopping much. by. Thanks for having me. Hello, welcome back to coming around again. We're still talking about George Michael's faith thirty years later, and uh, here to talk about it with us two very special guests of the podcast, friends of the program. We have uh, Trevor Anderson and Gary Trust of the Sharpie Podcast.
0: What's up, guys? It's like we're getting a featured credit, yeah. Appearing on yours,
2: F (laughs) slash
1: uh, Sharpie. Yeah.
0: Who's Who's built first?
4: Oh, just chart just beat. Okay, I'll take, uh, as a group, we're, we're,
1: we're officially featuring a duo, term, uh, Unless your, your agent like, demands the and instead of the featuring, uh, in which case, well, you know, my, our, our people will talk and we'll figure that out. But in any event, uh, talking about George Michael, just had Joe Lynch on. We, we, we kind of went deep on a bunch of the singles and some of the favorite music elements, but obviously this is a really interesting album in, in Billboard chart history as well, so I wanted to have you guys on to talk about some of the ins and outs of that. Uh, but first, you know, we, we, we can uh, make it a little bit personal. Uh, do, do you guys have any like particular you know, memories or associations with George Michael and, and play a big part in your life in any meaningful way. We'll start, we'll start with you, Gary, since you were actually uh, alive and of sound mind and body when this album came out in Dance. 1987.
0: Thanks for pointing that out. Sure. Yeah, no, actually, you know, it, it, for, for for anyone who cares, it's um, it, it was interesting to me because uh, 1988 was the first year I was following Billboard charts. Okay. So it was the first year that I, uh, I saw all the year-end charts come out. So uh, Faith was the number one song of the year on the Hot 100. It was the number one album of the year. On the Billboard 200, so it, it's always like there's been some part of me that it's like every year when the year-end titles come out, he, he kind of set the standard yeah, for what, what number one
1: is. He was one of the first uh, first artists to have two two hot 100 number one singles of the year, right? Because uh, he was uh, you know it was, it was Wham featuring George
0: Michael on "Careless Whisper." But uh, yeah, you stumped me off the bat. It sounds ah, like. It might be correct, but I'd have to I'd have to go check. I
1: don't even have you guys on for if you no But, uh, but uh, George Michael, yeah, he he certainly owned 1988 from a, from a chart perspective. Uh, were you a fan of his at the time or yeah. more of a pop curiosity? Um,
0: I, I, I did, I, I think. And we can you know, talk about this more and we go through his, his career a little bit more. Sure. But I, I think I like some of the stuff he did afterwards uh, even better, uh, Listen Without Prejudice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because it's only because I like those songs better or it's because by that point I was fully into music and I felt more like I, I owned uh, on an emotional level. And maybe that's you know part of how people like music once – once you're you're fully into uh, music, a little bit older, it, it means more to you. But yeah, um, no. but yeah, no, I, I I like the album. I I've always been a fan of his.
1: Yeah, we we I talked about this a little bit with Joe. But you know, while while this was obviously his kind of his, his commercial behemoth and uh, you know an album that he had trouble matching and even didn't really even try to match over the course of the rest of his career, I don't think it's it's not necessarily his best album. You know, it, it's it's his his album with the most hits on it, the most songs that people know, but. Listen without prejudice I think it's probably more of a complete you know artistic statement uh older I think it's really interesting so I, I, I think it, it, it's it's a little unfortunate that that faith cast such a large shadow over the rest of his discography because he had a, he had a couple other really good albums uh but uh before we get into that uh Trevor did you have a you have any particular George Michael connections or uh, is he I was, playing with your phone there instead not want to talk about George Michael
4: I was trying to to to, to, to googling oh, 1987 <laughs> to, to see what life was like back then No I was actually trying to trying to, to uh, grab, grab really quickly whether it was actually whether it was one of the first people to actually have two year and number ones and I couldn't quite I, I got right around the corner from my list but uh, I you, you I, I almost got quite, away with it Trevor I know I was uh, I was oh so close um, in any case uh, well, obviously I was not alive when the album came out sure so um, thanks mom and dad for that <laughs> one. Um, which is kind of funny because now I was trying to rack my brain about when was the first time I I came to experience the album mm-hmm. uh, it probably was maybe around college because i guess and kind of what you guys have mentioned about um him not being the same commercial force probably when i went in the 90s when i was a lot coming across music but sure. it's kind of weird because he is one of these artists who who isn't always just tied to this album like his artistry is bigger than the album but it's a little odd that for me like he's an artist that is bigger than an album but only has one sort of big album yeah I mean if you think of anybody else you know you think of Michael or you think of Well I think uh, you have
0: to combine the the WHAM stuff before that.
4: I kind of but I mean even Wham only had I mean you probably only a, what a four five Wham hits that most people could probably even name if even if even five. Right. Um and I mean the fact that's even a little bit older is, is a little a little different as mm-hmm. well. Um so I I probably came across this just like on a playlist or something. Um honestly, I mean maybe maybe I was like, "Well, what is this song called? I want your sex. What is that <laughs> What is that song sound like?" Um, but I remember, like, I think one of my favorite things about George Michael, we can kind of get into this a little bit later, is, um, <laughs> you know, there's always a soft spot I think in 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 Black America for white guys who appreciate, you know, great soul R and B music, and I mean the British people, you sure. know, have have always been oddly very connected with with some of the the sounds of of. American South, R&B, blues, all those kind of influences. And so I think there's something about that where I was like, yo, this,
1: is, this isn't just like hype. This guy can really sing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he, he had tremendous success on, on the R&B charts with, with this album. I'm, I'm sure it's something you guys probably want to touch on. But uh, I think, I think you know, it went to number one, right,
0: on the, on the R&B charts? Well, I know there were six, six songs charted yeah. uh, from it. If you look back, uh, uh, f- three of them were top tens. One more try the number 1 R&B It
1: was pretty tremendous and I know he he said that that actually meant more to him than being number 1 on the pop charts is because you know he was such a big soul fan, you know, he had the song with Aretha Franklin and, and you know earlier than this album and uh you know the, whenever whenever he toured, I think he you know he carried like a, a very very heavy coterie of of gospel singers in the background and he he was, he was definitely a, a very very big proponent of, of soul music
0: and, and father figures get kind of a gospel song sure I and mean, so is was one yeah. more yeah, one more try as we already mentioned
1: right.
4: uh, and George also of course holding it down for, for the white folks on the R&B chart and he's the last person to have number one hit on the R&B charts who's white until Robin Thicke yeah that's
1: right I remember when that happened that was, that was very exciting I mean, that's like, like a 15 Dick. year gap at least yeah yeah uh yeah, was, was it easier in the '80s for for, for non-black artists to get onto the R&B radio? I know, I know Hall and Oates had a, had a couple hits.
0: Uh, Madonna, Hall and Oates, yeah. uh, Phil Collins, I, th- I think, had some some R&B hits. Uh, you know, I think I I'm not sure. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. on, on uh, R&B radio in the '80s, but you know, a lot of that music was was catchy and and kind of mixed pop and R&B, so they were open to it yeah, at, well, at the time.
4: So. And let's also not forget that. I think I think in the post-Max Martin era, when you think of certain songwriters and certain collaborators. In one part, I mean, there are a lot of black musicians honing a lot of these white records. I mean, Nile Rodgers producing so much of like a Virgin, sure. And I mean, people wouldn't think that. So I mean, there's 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 ways to put those those sounds those touches in that I think was a little more simplistic, or not simplistic, but a little a little easier to slide in versus what we think of nowadays as sort of, you know, black black people mostly work with black people and in house, and and a lot of you know white pop artists work with sort of these this this wheelhouse of mostly White talent, The Swedes. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think of you know like Usher, Jermaine Dupree, you think of sort of the guys who go on one circle, and you don't really think of Usher and Max Martin yeah. and Shellback and and Doctor Luke and that crew. So. You
1: did have uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, who certainly is one. Yeah, would be one considered one of the acolytes of, of this kind of period in George Michael's career, and he was working with uh, you know Pharrell and Timbaland and. Uh, uh, f- I guess Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin doesn't count. But, uh, but it's certainly big-name R&B producers. But I don't think he really crossed over to R&B radio the same way. But it's just interesting. It's, it, it shows another way that this album was kind of so immersive in the culture in the late 80s and that it was crossing over to really unexpected places. Uh, and, and it was an absolute monster on the Hot 100, as, uh, as, as you guys are, are no doubt aware. Uh so, th- this this album, you know, we we had a, a series of essays that went up today celebrating the fact that it had six top five hits. I was trying to rack my brain. How many other albums have done that? How many other albums have six top five hits? Um, well, obviously,
4: Janet has seven top five hits. But is, is... She the only, is she the only other one?
1: I think six top fives,
4: um, I think, uh, ooh, that's, that's tough. Cause, like, I mean, control, and, and other Janet albums out of control had five top fives. Right. I think Janet had five as well, um... This one would have six.
1: I think that might, think that might be the only
4: one,
0: that, which is which
1: is pretty tremendous.
0: Yeah. Well, what's interesting about Rhythm Nation is you, you talk about how uh, Bad had five number sure. ones and and nothing uh, did that again until Katy Perry Teenage Dream in two thousand ten two thousand eleven. Um, talking about Rhythm Nation, it had it had four number ones, it had two number twos. So she almost if if it if, uh, uh, was uh, Rhythm Nation and come back to me. Had both hit number one, she'd have the record with six. Sure, and also uh, all right got to number four. So uh, it's just it, kind of forgotten. You always just think of bad. You always think of, of teenage dream. But uh, rhythm nation almost almost tied and broke the record.
1: But but so did faith for that matter. And also had the four right. number one singles and a number two, and, and the number two uh, very easily could have gotten number one. Uh, and, and I want your sex, which, which which kind of had a couple strikes against it, right? right?
0: So maybe if uh, right, I think one of the stories said and I knew the story Casey Kasem would never say the title sure. from American Top Forty. So there there might have been some sort of ingrained uh, little little reticence uh, at radio. About yeah, that.
1: I, I think I think it got banned from at least a couple stations. Although, although you know he was such a such a force at the time that they couldn't deny him completely. But the fact that you know the. the I would say it's probably still one of the most recognizable songs on the album. and didn't get to number one, uh, but the next four singles did. Like That that, that basically mean, I mean, it came as close, except for maybe Rhythm Nation, as any other album has, to, to, to matching that bad record. Yeah, C. It,
0: C. It's, it's also a little bit of an asterisk that we never have to deal with because it was released well ahead of the album. And, and some people sort of consider it's Faith true. the first single, so we've yeah, so uh, I, I never was, had to worry about that on a chart. I was
1: uh, trying to remember uh, with Joe in the first half of this podcast, uh, but I Want Your Sex. Was that, on, was that on the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why? So Has anybody seen that movie? Like, where, where, where does that song slot into the Beverly Hills Cop Two? Uh, that I don't know. I I've never seen it. I maybe it's synced up. I don't maybe know. Maybe just needed
4: a placement. I don't know.
1: The, next time I see that movie on one of my eight HBOs, I'll, I'll have to to watch through for uh for that George Michael song placement because so that that that's pretty incongruous to me. But it's it's pretty incredible uh so but with that aside i mean uh, what was it about this album that you think made it such a commercial force and specifically on the hot 100 either from a from a musical perspective or from an industry perspective do you, do you have any kind of do you guys have any kind of pet theories as to why this was one of the one of the all-timers
0: yeah and just i mean as we're uh, talking about that it, it uh, I Want Your Sex doesn't fully fit in some ways on Faith. It feels it feels sure. like it was released before then because then you get to Faith, you get to Father Figure, you get to One More Try. It feels like progressively with those singles, we just kept seeing a more adult side. Yeah, uh, very, very
1: adult, very kind of classic
0: soul. I mean, I mean not even just... Uh, it, not even just that they were older. We've seen many artists do that over the years, even uh, in recent years, uh, Zane Zayn uh, doing that, or Miley Cyrus becoming <laughs> sure. be, becoming uh, more more mature in, in music. But I think there's just such a depth to, especially father figure, and especially One More Try. Those songs just they're. On one level, it's kind of crazy to think that they became pop hits because they, they're just very uh, intricate songs mm-hmm. with great hooks. But One More Try especially, it's almost six minutes. There's no uh, f- official chorus. He says the title at the end. It's, right, yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, – I think you look back and, and if you didn't realize how big he was at the time, uh, you might not realize how these songs became number ones. But I think it's just a combination that he he grew up and he great songs. I know it's, yeah. it sounds simple, but really, really good songs.
1: Yeah, and unlike Bad, where it was sort of the album after the album. I mean, we, we we you know you guys were on my podcast to talk about Bad a couple months ago, and we we went through the number ones, and we you know, we agreed that you know uh, a couple of them were were kind of stone classics, Man in the Mirror, the way you make me feel, uh, a couple others, uh, maybe not so much so, you know, uh, I just can't stop loving you, and uh, you know we think we had a we had a split vote on Bad, the song Bad, but. uh yeah, like like th- that album definitely felt like it was riding the wave of Thriller, still, even though it came out a half decade later. But this this was it for George Michael. I mean, obviously he had the Wham's. Uh, you know, Make It Big was a huge album. Uh, Music from on the Edge of Heaven was a little bit less so, but certainly he was still a major pop star on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, but this was this was the culmination. This this wasn't him just kind of uh, you know earning off past accomplishments. This this was the album for him, uh, and. I'd say you know, of the five number ones, the only one that you kind of look at askance this these days is probably "Monkey," right? Well,
4: four number ones. I'm sorry,
1: four. I'm sorry, of the four number ones. The, the, no disrespect to my Billboard scoop Perry. right here.
0: Apologies for that. That's why. That's why the chart beat. Of, of the here.
1: five uh, top two hits on the album, we'll say that much. Uh, the only one that you kind of look at side eyed is probably "Monkey."
0: Well, I think it's the one that hasn't lasted as well, and it's probably the one that sounds the most of its time. Sure, Cheesiest
1: so by far. Yeah, it's
0: still a fun song.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and the the only one with actual monkey uh, screaming effects on it, which is uh, you know, puts it in a class of its own, certainly. And it has the you know, the great uh, great Jam and Lewis remix, we talked about a little with Joe, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an insane song, certainly. Definitely one you 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 if you're scrolling through your big book of Billboard number ones, you get to that one. You're like, oh, I didn't didn't know he had a song called Monkey or, like, or maybe I, uh, I don't know with Monkey. Then I feel like I mean that's that's to me where like I want your sex
4: like fits in like the yeah. album like mm-hmm. i mean i think th- those are kind of two sides of the same coin to me in that little you know, and, and you know he i weird, mean the uptempo sexy way
0: right and the uptempo stuff he'd done before then uh was was much more bubblegum so yeah. he'd done uh, freedom and he'd done uh wake me up before you go go so now the uptempo stuff we were getting was i want your sex it was monkey a li- little little more r and B, a a little again a little more adult sounding even on the uptempo songs
4: but now now he's a man you know he wants your <laughs> sex, you know come play monkey like let's like come on
1: I don't know if you can really read – I don't know what you read into Monkey in terms of you know, thematically. If you have like a coherent interpretation of that song, God bless. I, I got nothing for you. But, uh, but yeah, I think if, if you were to talk about one of the songs, the being a momentum hit, I think that would be the one where it's just like uh, the, the wave was so high. It was just cresting for him at that point. And he was still on his his Faith World Tour and he's still on MTV every you know, half hour or whatever. And uh, by the time Monkey comes out, you could have put out probably any song on this album and it would have been a, a major hit. I'd say almost as impressive as that is Kissing a Fool getting yeah. number five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: like, I mean, the songs were really all, uh, they're all different. Yeah. I mean, you, with Very every so. single, you, you, you got a different side of an artist who was just uh, growing. And for that song to be hit, even at the time, how many songs that sound like they're being sung in a lounge somewhere yeah. become hits. Even at the time I thought this sounds pretty different for a pop hit.
1: And another song with no chorus really to speak of, uh just you know, some some kind of repeating musical motifs but no big hook, no, nothing really. It's, it's it's all atmosphere and it's all him, just yeah. just that vocal performance. Right. And it's pretty tremendous and uh are, are you surprised at all that they didn't go for that, that seventh big hit? I mean, this was the era of, of seven singles. And I yeah. guess it's sort of tried with Hard Day earlier, but uh, they never really made a video for it. They, they didn't give it the full push.
0: Yeah, it was actually it was a, a top 25 R&B hit. Oh, like really? In, I in, know in, in okay. 1987. But I, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think there was a hit they missed on them. I, I think oh, hand yeah. to mouth is, is kind of catchy, but I'm not sure it would have been uh, another single at that point.
1: Yeah, maybe not. And uh, I don't know. The eighties the, were turning over to the nineties, and obviously George Michael was was starting to to rebel a little bit against this sort of moment in his life and being this this massively consumed pop star. And uh, you know, he he never really approached these commercial heights again, and that was almost by choice. Uh, did that surprise you at the time? I mean, if, if you, you you grew up with George Michael as as one of the, the the preeminent pop stars, but he never he never seemed to really want to recapture that brass ring after this.
0: Yeah, he almost kind of embodied uh, an overall pop culture thinking at the time—the eighties, uh, you know, stereotypically being about excess—and sure. the nineties uh, kind of went in more of a stripped-down um, mode in, in a lot of different ways and just a sort of sort of mindset. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big deal at the time that he he wouldn't make videos that he he was uh, kind of biting the the hand that had fed him all this success. So it was it was kind of controversial uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, at that point. Uh, you know, I, I think you look back at something like "Praying for Time." It was sort of it became a number one hit largely because he'd been away for so long. A, a deep song, but it yeah sure. maybe maybe not on the level of something like "Father Figure." If, if that's what it sounded like, uh, "Freedom" was a great song, but with no video, uh, that's when you really saw the tide start to turn. "Freedom '90" with no video. Oh, with him not being in. With oh, him okay. The Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so that song yeah. definitely had a video I've seen a couple that quickly, times. Yeah. Him, uh, him not wanting to be the face sure. is, of his video. Sure. It was
1: definitely a different period in his career.
4: <laughs> well, do you think, I mean, I guess when you look back now at that period in the 80s that was so high, do you think there were any signs there? Like, cause I, you say it always comes as shocked shock to people that he sort of just pulled this 180 i mean do you think anything with, with that time would have made you think you know maybe he's not enjoying this as much as as, as you think he would he should this is, um, this is
0: where i get to say i was too young in, in <laughs> 80, 85 okay. you were you were we were quite in the Trans- critical tr- thinking t- tr- mode yet. yeah yeah i don't know it, it could be a lot of stars have that first taste of success and mm-hmm. it's probably really great at first but then you realize pretty quickly maybe maybe this isn't for me. And I think that's kind of what happened with him.
1: Well, I'd say if, if there was a sign for it, you could say it was him leaving Wham! In the first place, you know, Wham! Was still massively successful in the mid '80s. Uh, had, had the brand recognition that he didn't necessarily have solo. Although you know he, he was starting to get credits. You know, he got the Wham! Featuring George Michael. And then uh, I was talking about earlier, but you know, a different corner was one of his last Wham! Hits. It was credited to George Michael solo on a Wham! Album. But obviously, he he wanted to leave that period behind him, mostly because it was kind of seen as like a frivolous pop thing. And then once he does Faith, and he he reaches heights that he never even reached with Wham, uh, and and a you know, sort of popular exposure that he never even reached with Wham, uh, I don't. I think it's not, you know, it's it's not unpredictable that he would have kind of bucked from that too, just because he. he he keeps hitting these new heights, and as he gets there, he realizes, "Wait a minute, uh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be."
4: But kind of interesting. I mean, interesting to me that, that focuses like so much on the fame picture of it, because I mean, I assume that if Faith, if you think Faith is the album that George Michael wanted to make sure. when he was in Waym, wanted to put out, it seems just so odd to me that I guess he, I mean, he would have what he wanted, and he he wasn't forced into this box by this label to to, to do this or make this, and it still, I mean, it still wasn't enough. I guess in a way that's so
2: it, it is if definitely nothing
4: else. He would have the music. He would
1: think i don't know it's definitely really interesting but i think that's kind of the paradox that defines his entire career like even after listening without prejudice he like you know that was an acoustic album it was sort of ponderous in a, like in kind of like a almost ecology a sort of way which is, i'm sure why why gary was such a fan at the time but like immediately after that he you know he he, he well not, not immediately but soon after that he goes to older which is like a, a dance flavored album and, and very ballad heavy but like more and more in
0: a club more r&b sort of mode well, that, he put Jesus to a child was the yeah, first single, and mm, that is, is as a, as just a, that's almost him daring uh, the overall pop audience to, to say, you know, I'm going to take this as far as I want away from this. Exactly, and if you it's, guys it's, like it, that you know, that's no, up to you. Yeah it's, yeah,
1: it's a it's a brutal listen, and uh, you know, and after this, he did an album of standards, and then he did a like a, a total dance pop album. And it seems like every, every time he sort of reintroduced himself to the pop world, it was under a completely different guise than when he had left it. It was and, also
0: a long break between sure. and hell his legal trouble, so that uh, you know a couple of years can be an eternity for a pop audience no doubt
1: and and but but it seems like he, he kind of spent his career redefining what it meant to be George michael and so you know maybe maybe it wasn't even the fame and the excess and the success and all that stuff that that the faith era brought, but maybe it was just that was mm-hmm. then and on to the next one and uh, I, I think there's enough evidence in his career to suggest that that was almost as large a part of it as, as anything uh, in terms of recoiling from commercial success. You, you can develop your own theories about about George Michael and his pulling from the limelight, but uh, yeah. well, obviously now you know it's it's too late to to to, to ask him about any of this stuff. Uh, and you know, th- you know, talked about it a little bit with Joe, but it, it was it was a pretty devastating thing in, in December when uh, when we all heard you know, over Christmas break that, that he had died. Uh, it really for, forced me to kind of take a second look at his career and, and my own opinions about George Michael. Uh, did, did, did you guys were, were you impacted in any meaningful way by his death? And
0: do you look at him any differently since then? Um, Well, I I think I think it's uh, it's been nice to see how he's maybe gotten more of his due than I might have expected. Sure. Uh, Here we are talking about him as one of the biggest names of 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 the 80s and maybe since I, you know, I I think for for the last uh, somewhere around the mid 90s on. Uh, he was, you know, kind of uh, not treated with much respect overall. He had some 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 personal issues that uh, you know he made the outside video Good kind up. of kind of joking about that. So, you know, I think he kind of fell into this uh, this uh, view uh, overall by the pop audience that he just had some hits in the eighties and and was, was you know maybe in some ways a joke since then. So I think it's kind of nice uh, if nothing else, people are really focusing on his catalog at this point and, and giving him the respect for being such a great songwriter more than anything
1: and a producer too, right? Yeah. What about you, Trevor?
4: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's. I mean, you look even with with some of his contemporaries, Michael, Whitney. I mean, it's so funny how for the past for the last I don't know two, three, five, ten years of their lives, they become you know late night you know sure. uh punchlines. They become parodies on SNL, you know, of all their of all their problems. And and George, of course, I mean, I don't think he was he he never was in that public eye or had those public problems in the same way. I mean, I think Gary's completely right that. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, George Michael was never a big deal. I mean, if you knew him and you liked him or whatever, but it wasn't as if George Michael's going on tour, you got to see him or he, he barely heard
0: this in your lifetime yeah. that, that you would have known.
4: Yeah. I yeah. mean, so you kind of like knew, knew who he was in the back of your mind, but it was never he was never somebody that you really sought out, paid attention to, dissected. If, if you ever heard
1: about him, it was because he, you know, got caught smoking pot in public or, you know, he yeah. in the, the British the infam- toilets or like the yeah. infamous bathroom. Yeah. Incident. yeah. And, and so like the, that that you grow up with that being your primary reference point for George Michael. And it's always fascinating how after an artist like that dies, as you, as you kind of mentioned earlier, like that'll
0: disappears. Um, yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, completely like like it's it's and and of course that's not what you want to focus on mm-hmm. in, in the grand scheme of his life because it was so much more than that.
0: If nothing else at least he did seem to have a sense of humor about it. Like <laughs> <By, by laughs> no motion that yeah. video he was yeah. on what was was it was it extras with uh, Ricky Gervais he had a scene where he was joking about that. So he, I think he um, yeah nothing else kind of laughed it off in some yeah. ways.
4: And I think, and I think in the this documentary that that has come out recently um he did say that he wanted to be remembered um one of the big things was was as a songwriter sure. and I think that's so I think it's so fascinating that any, basically any singer-songwriter, I think that you know, in their own way has been interviewed. and They always say they want to be remembered as a songwriter. They, they like that part of it so much more than the singing, even for the great singers out there. So I think um, the fact that people are, are paying attention to that
1: is, is really nice. Yeah, one final question that I've, I've kind of been wondering about myself recently, and, and some sort of a curveball, so take a second if you need. But do you think George Michael will ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, the, the silence says it all
0: no i i think he i think he could it, it, it's a little it's it's kind of always hard to guess how the rock and roll mm-hmm. hall of fame uh, goes but uh it wouldn't shock me if he were and i could totally see him uh, being deserving
1: it's it's interesting to me because you know you never really hear his name mentioned as one of like a like a snub you never really hear like there's no really like, grassroots you know support for george michael and obviously there's there's a million other artists that should be in an R. and so you you can't focus too much on george michael but you know, it's, it's, he was, you know, the, the the people that you would consider peers of his that uh, are, are also kind of have at least one foot in the rock world. You know, George Michael wasn't a rock star, but, he, you know, he, the Faith video and uh, Listen Without Predators was a very, like, rockish album. And, you know, he he's it's not that much of a stretch to consider George Michael rock. And when you consider that, you know, someone like Madonna's in, uh, you know, Prince, obviously, uh, other 80s pop stars certainly uh, got the respect immediately. George Michael, for reasons we've already talked about, I uh, didn't necessarily have that respect in his lifetime. But I do wonder if now, that, now that he's dead, and you know everyone always kind of is, is, is revered more and kind of viewed as more of a, you know, a hallowed, hallowed sort of manner once they pass. I do wonder if eventually the tide will come around to him and they'll say like, yeah, he he wrote and produced all of his songs, uh, for the most part. Uh, he was a great performer, a great singer. He had, definitely had the respect of his peers, and he, he had the respect of his, of his followers too. Like I, I haven't, I haven't watched the George Michael documentary, but just. You know, I've seen sort of the previews for it and just some of, some of the, the faces in that preview. Like, I think like Liam Gallagher of Oasis is in there. Mark Ronson's in there. Like people f- uh, who are probably given a little bit more of that, that respect than George Michael is f- from the rock perspective. I can see it happening uh, maybe in the next 10, 15 years. Well,
0: he did know. the album with Queen as well. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it can be a little bit of a, of a pull into the rock world. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> going to be the voice of dissent. Here. Well,
4: it's just uh, it's just kind of based on somewhat somewhat empirical evidence. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. you you know that besides sort of the obvious rock acts, people people all would agree. You know, you are rock and roll. I mean, for most of maybe the '60s, early '70s. I mean, that's when most of those sort of R and B pop leaning acts, whether it's Aretha, whether it's mm-hmm. Jackson Five, that's that. I mean, you got Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, like those influencer kind of eras. I mean they certainly all get in. When you slide into like the late 70s, 80s, I mean, I feel like that's that, that sort of segment of pop R&B is, is the one that, that misses out. I mean, you've got Madonna in there, and I think, I think a lot of people argue that she did more for um, the culture, as the kids want to say, and, and her influence is sort of undeniable. But, I mean, you know, people bring up all the time, I mean, Donna Summer's not there, Janet's not there, Whitney. Whitney's yeah. not there. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, even someone like Prince, who's in that same kind of time, Prince, it's not hard to see why Prince is is, is rock. I mean, he's, he's, he's a, a guitar he's a guitar hero, player, yeah. he's an instrumentalist, and I think maybe that's one thing that might hurt a lot of mm-hmm. those icons is they don't play a lot of instruments.
0: Great voices, good it, it always writers. gets back to: is it the pop Hall of Fame? Is it the rock and roll yeah. Hall yeah. of Fame? So it, it's really hard to tell.
1: I think these are all totally fair points, and it is, it is an interesting argument. And I, I, Ooh, can I, I it, bring up one last also? Please, yeah,
4: one last point. I mean, kind of in that in that middle vein that always gets skipped. I think also now going forward. I mean, you've got now a lot of rap icons coming Mm. through who think that you know that they deserve some some share. And we've seen obviously Tupac and NWA. And so you you know, before I guess if it was kind of a two genre field, if it's sort of if it's rock versus pop, I mean, now that rap is going to be in the picture, and I assume only the same number of people are going to get in every year, uh, it's going to be harder for them. I do think I wonder maybe in the future, particularly maybe his contributions from the LGBTQ standpoint could could sort of merit a. Um, another look in the coming years as maybe some some more figures in that field get recognized and and inducted but I mean I feel like it's kind of a hard sell because I think I, and it kind of comes to the main point about of that era I mean you know is George is George more rock than Donna is is he more than Janet I mean there's such a long list of those people I think in that era who people already think should get in that it's a pretty
0: crowded club I think it's unfortunate too that we didn't we didn't get more product from him in yeah. his heyday because I think that might have uh, that that might have uh, sold his case a little bit more just going so many years between albums whether it was his own choice or not uh, if we had more catalog that might have uh, just made it easier Yeah
1: no he's he's almost like like a, a you know a basketball player that gets hurt in his early thirties or something and right. he ends up having like a relatively short, uh, you know, kind of long tail to his career. Right. Uh, and it, it is unfortunate, but it, that, you know, that, that's that, that's a very well-heated point, Trevor, about the, the, the field about, and in one way the field is getting less crowded because like all the sixties and seventies boomer rock acts are, it seems like most of the ones that had the credible shot at getting in are in or will be in the next couple of years. But as we get into the, yeah, the next couple of decades, yeah. The, the preponderance of, of major rap stars and, uh, other just kind of uh, you know just 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 cult figures that uh, that that are kind of worlds unto themselves and maybe have a little bit more rock cred than than George Michaels will certainly uh, make it a more crowded discussion. Uh, but it's it's really interesting and I'm, I think I think he's deserving. I hope he gets in at some point. And you know this year it'll be in a sort of an interesting litmus test as to what direction we're heading in. You know you see people like uh, like Kate Bush in Depeche Mode who also don't really fall into the sort of traditional '80s rock mold. Uh, but uh, you know, they're, they're sort of left field figures and they're more from the pop world or as much, as, as much from the pop world as from the rock world.
0: When you're pure pop, I think sometimes you don't get that extra little push yeah. like you do if you're alt. You kind of have that rock cred. If you're R&B, there, there's sort of an element there. But pure pop sometimes doesn't get its due. Yeah. I suppose that could hurt them. I
4: well, I think some people think that you know, it gets its due other places. It gets, <laughs> it gets its due on the charts, on right. the Grammys, yeah, in right popular up. culture. You know, these, this is the one place maybe where people who, who don't always get everything can get something.
1: But I I, would, I personally would say there's room in the Rock Hall for both Radiohead and George Michael, and I'd like to see them both in there soon enough. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. It's been a really great discussion. Uh, Gary Trust, Trevor Anderson, Charts Without Prejudice. Love having you guys on. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's that, that's our spinoff podcast yeah. Yeah.
4: coming next year.